You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And we're going to be reading together verses 22 and following. You'll find this on page 857 of the Pew Bible. We're looking at Luke chapter 2 and reading verses 22 through 35. Hear the word of God. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Well, I believe, and I hope you agree with me, that it's good to focus our attention upon the mystery of godliness, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. For our sake, he emptied himself of his glory and he assumed the form of a servant. And the Son of God did that while you and I were enemies, criminals, traitors against heaven. And hence, in our text for this morning, Jesus is described as our salvation. You see, the law of Moses required 40 days for a mother's purification after childbirth. So 40 days after Christ's birth, Jesus was presented by his parents at the temple. And in the midst of that event, our gaze is focused on one man who is called Simeon. He immediately recognized the significance of this child, God's salvation, he said. He also said, this baby is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. 
Because you see, previously he had received an oracle that before dying he would see the anointed one. And now having seen him, he was ready to depart. His longing and his expectation had been satisfied and filled with joy. He offers praise and prophesies about the male child. And you know something? Very little is known about this man, Simeon, who was waiting in Jerusalem. His name was common among the Jews. and Not much more is known about him. There are no details about any official position. Perhaps he was a priest, maybe a scribe. Some think he was a Jewish rabbi, even the son of Hillel and the father of Gamaliel. Whether or not these are true, old Simeon was acquainted with the Messianic promises, and it says that he was righteous and devout. And in those days, that was something that was extremely rare. As righteous, he was ethically sound, and as devout, he was spiritually disciplined. Toward his fellow man, he was just, and toward God, he was sincere and reverent. And it's clear that Simeon was numbered among the faithful worshipers whom the Father himself seeks. While Jerusalem was in serious decline, here was this godly, faithful believer. His piety and his morality, twin fruits of a faith in the coming Messiah. He feared God. He shunned evil with an enlarged heart and a hungry spirit. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Perhaps all of his life, we don't know. It was extremely rare because, as I said, the conditions were not good in Israel at that time. The Jews had lost their political independence and King Herod was a wicked, wicked ruler. And there were the legalistic Pharisees, the secularistic Sadducees, and the hedonistic masses. And in the midst of all of this darkness and degradation, here was Simeon patiently waiting. Every morning, he went to the temple thinking, perhaps this is the day. And each night he went home and he prayed, Lord, please come quickly. And he took seriously the messianic promises that were made centuries before. There were others such as Mary and Zacharias and Elizabeth and Anna and it shows us that even in the worst of times, God has his people and he's never without witness. Simeon was waiting for the consolation. And he believed in that prophecy that was read earlier that Isaiah wrote. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Or perhaps consolation, consolation my people, says your God. And that is the opening promise of what's called Isaiah's book of restoration. In Isaiah 40 through 66, the prophet looks ahead to the coming of Messiah, who would usher in a time of shalom. It would be a time of unprecedented spiritual peace and joy and blessing. And notice how Isaiah links the consolation with our Lord's forerunner. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, which of course anticipates John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Christ. So on that particular morning at the temple, Simeon was met by this mother with a babe in her arms. And the time had come. And Simeon knew that he was looking at the Christ. The old man took him up in his arms and blessed God because he realized the promise had been confirmed and that pious rabbi had seen the Lord. 
And he knew that this child would fulfill all the messianic expectations throughout the generations. To Gentiles living in darkness, he'd be a light of revelation. For Israel, his arrival meant the hope of glory for God's chosen people. And it will be said, as Isaiah pointed out, Behold, this is our God, we have waited for him. This is the Lord, we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Every pious Jew had been waiting for this consolation. Simeon had the privilege of seeing it. It's the comfort that's enjoyed by true believers in every generation. By contrast, every unbeliever in this world is devoid of any true comfort in life. The non-Christian has nothing from which to draw consolation. I know it's a good day. I know it's a Lord's day, even Christmas. To hear news like this is not uplifting, but it's true. The non-Christian has nothing from which to draw consolation. His hope is built upon shadows. We're told that his trust is a spider's web. And as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, all is vanity. Only if the Spirit of God renews his heart and enlightens his mind and draws his affections to Christ can he find true consolation. Apart from this, there is no consolation, only a fearful expectation of judgment. John Flavel says, It is no consolation to him that is hungry to see a feast, to him that is poor to see a treasure, if the one may not taste or the other partake thereof. For anyone to have a share in Christ's comfort, he needs faith and the work of the Spirit. And that was the crucial element in the life and the ministry of this old man. When Simeon encountered the baby Jesus, the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it was the same Spirit who had changed his heart in the new birth. Simeon had been born from above. The seed of saving faith had been put into his soul. And the man's holy expectation and faith-filled longing was the fruit of grace. No unbelieving person could have experienced that. Simeon had been given eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to embrace the promise. And on this day, the Holy Spirit was upon him in a special way as a spirit of prophecy. Because at some point, we're not told when, but previously he had been told that he would not see death until he had seen the Christ. And so he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He had been equipped supernaturally to recognize the Christ child, and as he took up the infant in his arms, he rejoiced with a joy that was unspeakable. Can you imagine the thrill that must have been for him to see the Lord's anointed? There was nothing left in this world for him to see. He could die in peace. He'd been delivered from the fear of death. All he wanted was to go home. This world had lost all of its charms and the grave had lost all of its terror. And Simeon spoke as one who knew to where and to whom he was going. He had seen that face in which life and immortality had been brought to life. And with Paul, he could say in all sincerity, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this child had brought the true consolation that gives peace even in the valley of the shadow of death. 
Christ alone is able to vanquish the king of terrors so that you and I can have no fear of death. No wonder the angel said, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy. And this gospel is called glad tidings because in Jesus Christ we find true comfort. And then Simeon would speak about mysteries that went far beyond the natural mind. He'd talk about the fall and the rising of many in Israel. He would talk about a sword that would pierce through Mary's own soul. And of course, that was an unmistakable reference to the cross. She would see her son in his agony, suffering for the sins of God's people. And he would accomplish our salvation in so doing. So I think as we reflect upon this on this Lord's Day morning, let's strive to have a biography that is as noble and concise as Simeon's. You know, Charles Spurgeon laments long biographies. He says about such long biographies, half of it is nonsense and half the other half is not worth reading. He goes on to tell us that the prophet rests mainly with the publishers and not with the readers. So short biographies are the best. They give us a concise, exact account of the whole man. And Simeon's short biography is enough for anybody to be happy about. He lived in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Isn't that what we would like to have said about us at our funeral? He lived in Ohio. He was righteous and devout, waiting for the return of Jesus. That, oh, that we'd be so saved and sanctified that that could be said of us. Because you know something? Many scoff at the return of Christ. But we know that he's coming back. As Elder Parkin read, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And from that day forward, we will forever be with the Lord in heaven. And throughout history, all the saints have waited for Jesus. Eve waited for the promised seed. Abraham looked for him, saying, God will provide himself a lamb. Moses anticipated the great prophet whom God would raise up. David celebrated him in the Psalms. And I could go on to talk about Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Micah. And then there's good old Simeon in the fullness of time who saw Christ come in the flesh. And now every believer anticipates his visible return at the end of time. At least I hope so. And the text says that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon and in that in a very special way. And would that it could be said of everyone here that the Holy Spirit dwells within. He is the guarantee of our salvation. He is the great comforter of the soul. And Paul says that he bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
What a noble biography that would be. Concise, accurate, edifying. But then secondly, let's also learn to draw comfort from the consolation of Israel, even Jesus. In my short tenure of 27 years, I've done many funerals. I counted them up, almost 100. Almost 100 funerals, and I've learned one or two things. And one of those being the relative sweetness of a Christian's death. It's the noblest thing on earth. How noble is the dismissal of a saint from his labor to his reward? What a thing of wonder it is to go from his conflicts to his triumphs. As the body declines and fades, the soul is prepared for its homegoing. And at just the right time, that soul is escorted by the angels and ushered into the very presence of the consolation of Israel. Spurgeon tells us that John Knox, the great Scottish reformer, that brave old fellow, when he came to die, sat up in his bed and said, Now the hour of my disillusion is come. I have longed for it many a day, but I shall be with my Lord in a few moments. It says, Then he fell back on his bed and died. Is there anything more noble than that? The funeral of a Christian is and should be a time of sorrow mingled with great joy. For those who remain, it's hard. It's a time of sorrow. But for the saint, life has just begun. There is the hope of a happy reunion and the expectation of a resurrected body. And we can draw comfort from the knowledge of Christ's victory over the grave. How different is the funeral of an unbeliever? And I have done many of those. It's unmingled sorrow because there's no hope. There's no consolation. There's no reassurance of a life to come. There is, as I said, only the fearful expectation of facing the final judgment on your own demerits. The body is lowered into the earth where it's kept in its grave as in its prison until the final day. But as long as there is breath in your lungs, you have an opportunity. What would you say if you could know yourself to be chosen by the Father, redeemed by the incarnate Son, and born from above by his Holy Spirit? Would that not be a consolation to you? In the worst conditions on earth, a believer finds comfort in those wonderful truths. So today, as we celebrate the incarnation, let's wait and watch for his return. It's been said that the passive graces are far more excellent than those that are active. It's wonderful to teach. I'll have to be honest. It's wonderful to teach and preach and speak and help others and serve the church. But you know something? It's something. It's often those active graces that are not nearly as powerful as the passive graces. In fact, it is often the passive graces that are far more convincing. If there's one thing that believers and unbelievers share in this world, it's suffering. And when a believer suffers and is afflicted, the world marvels at his quiet resignation. 
If she submits to providence, if she suffers patiently, if she bears injury quietly, the world staggers. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, it says, Cecilia, a young lady of a good family in Rome, was married to a gentleman named Valerian. She converted her husband. The Spirit used her to convert her husband and brother, who were inevitably beheaded for their faith. The Maximus, or the officer who led them to the execution, seeing their passive graces, quietly resigned in the face of condemnation, became their convert, and the officer suffered the same fate at the same time. You may not preach to people, but your light can shine on them. The wise man says the, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Simeon's patient posture as he waited was one of those passive graces. It was a powerful testimony to God's grace in the midst of a very dark time. A spiritual person waiting for the return of Christ is a powerful testimony. It may or may not be tonight. We don't know. It may be tomorrow. Whenever it is, we wait. And as Peter says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? And if we do this, then when Jesus returns, he will find faith on the earth. Perhaps no Christian grace is finer than waiting for the consolation of Israel. May it be so of all of us here today. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in Jesus Christ, the consolation of all ages. We're thankful for the example of old Simeon and pray that we, like him, can display such grace that not only would our souls be edified, but others might take notice and that you might use it to bring them to Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.